Josh Luke. Well, happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, and thank you for, for deciding. I know you all looked out your window, and you all saw the snow and thought, I know what the road's going to be like, and you still saw it important to come and be with us today. And so that's, that's a great decision to have made. Welcome to this place. On weekends such as this, we anticipate that there'll be many who have friends and family in from out of town, as well as those who have gone elsewhere. And so if you are here as a friend and a family, or if you are a regular visitor, we want to welcome you all warmly to this place. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, or if you are new this weekend, my name is Pastor Mark Dixon, and following the service at that Pollock, I would love to shake your hand and, and hear your name. Uh, we're glad you could join us today as we continue this sermon series. This sermon series is called A Sure Foundation, uh, where we're reviewing some of the great themes of the Christian faith that were taught by Jesus, particularly in the book of John, chapters 15 through 17. And if you were with us uh, at the first week, or if you've been listening online, you will know that we talked about initially about Jesus, who is the true vine, and that he, he tells us to abide in him and to abide in his love. And if we do that, that's what makes the difference between thriving or merely surviving in this Christian walk that we have. We then picked that up last week and continued that discussion talking about love, about how love is Jesus' example, but it's our response and that one of the ways that we abide in Jesus is by obeying his commands. He equates obedience with love. And he gives us a specific command in that passage we talked about last week. The command to love one another. And that love would be what people think about when they see his followers. And so now this week, we're going to pick that up a little bit again. And we've been talking a lot these last two weeks about, about fruit. About fruit, that's what the Spirit produces in and through us when we're abiding in Christ. And when we're abiding in His love. Now I suspect many of you, when you hear that term, if you've read through your Bible, if you're familiar with the New Testament passages, when you hear the word fruit, one of the first things that will come to your mind is the, the fruit of the Spirit. And, and that's appropriate, because as we talked the first week, fruit of the Spirit is one way we can understand what he's speaking of when he says that when we abide in the vine, fruit will emerge. And so that fruit of the Spirit passage is something that Paul taught about in the book of Galatians. And, uh, and I thought it's probably appropriate that we talk about that before we finish off this first section of the sermon series. But this will be the last time we explicitly talk about fruit because you know what happens if you get too much fruit in your diet. It, does, <laughs> it doesn't go too well, right? So we're going to talk about it today. They're going to move on to another related but different topic, uh, the Holy Spirit. Next week we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, something that does not get talked about or taught explicitly on too much in the church. And we're not going to have time to get really, really deep into that, but we're going to kind of do Holy Spirit 101. And then maybe in the future we can go a little further beyond that. But today as we step outside of the Gospel of John a little bit, and turn our attention to Paul's teachings to the church in Galatia, where he talks in, near the end of that book, in chapter 5, about the fruit of the Spirit. You may want to open your Bibles up to that, if you have them with you. We will have verses on the screen, but it's always great to have your own Bibles open. Uh, I notice there's a lot of people who take notes, which is excellent. Glad to see people are taking notes. And people have even actually mentioned the last couple weeks that they like a, a space to take notes in the, in the bulletin. So we'll talk to the staff, we'll have a meeting and talk about how we might be able to accommodate that in the days ahead, but um, if you open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, and as you're doing that, I just want to begin by sharing with you a parable, a parable about a gardener and his fruit tree. 
Now, there was this man who, who had a crab apple tree, if you will, in his backyard. And as you know, crab apples, they really only produce, like, sour fruit. And now this man in particular, he, he actually didn't like crab apples, and he didn't like crab apple jelly. And so every time his fruit would, this fruit would come into season and fall to the ground, he, he would just throw it away. That was a bit of a problem for him because he loved this tree. Like, like he had intentionally planted this tree in his garden. He cared for this tree, and he wanted it to be part of his garden. Yet, he didn't like the type of fruit it produced. So one day, he came up with an idea. One day, he said, you know what? I wonder if I were to take that crabapple tree, and if I made a diagonal cut across the trunk near the bottom, and then if I then took a fresh green section of stem with an identical cut from a different tree, and if I splice those together to what's left of the crabapple tree trunk, I wonder what would happen. So he spliced them together, and he, he carefully wrapped, and he sealed, and he braced the area that was spliced. And before leaving, he took the old tag off the tree, and he placed a new tag on his tree that said, Golden Delicious Apples. Now, in the months that passed, buds started to appear on the branches that were above the splice line. Eventually, those buds turned to blossoms, and blossoms then turned to apples, and those apples appeared, but they weren't crab apples. They were actually golden, delicious apples that were being grown, because the tree was no longer a crab apple tree. It was actually a golden, delicious tree. That was now its true identity. But the tree still had some identity issues, because you see, below that graft line, below where that splice happened, it had a tendency to allow what they call sucker shoots to grow out. And if he didn't cut those off, if he allowed them to remain and to grow stronger, if he allowed them to blossom, they would eventually still produce crab apples. And in fact, it could actually dominate the tree. Now if that happened, this, this wild growth would happen and it would produce sour fruit again, which was a real problem for him because the tree no longer had that identity. The tree was a golden delicious apple tree. It's not a very healthy one if you let those sucker shoots grow. Now, throughout the book of Galatians, Paul vigorously argues that when a person places their faith in Jesus Christ, when they enter into an eternal relationship with him, that the spirit of the living God comes to dwell within them. And in a mysterious way, God's spirit intertwines with theirs, and they are transformed into a new person. And because we then become new people, when that happens in our lives, our identity changes. We cease to be crab apple trees and start to become golden, delicious apple trees. But Paul was battling something in the church of Galatia. See, he was battling the fruit of people's lives. Because the fruit they were producing didn't match their new identity in Christ. And if he didn't address that, it would be inconsistent and problematic for them to continue to live as they used to live when they had a new identity, when they had good fruit to be produced. And so as we pick up Paul's argument in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 26, Paul calls out that although we are new creations in Christ, we face a daily choice. You see, we can have these sucker shoots grow out of our lives. And we can't ignore them. We've got to pay attention to them. 
And the way he phrases it here, he says that we face a daily challenge that we can either walk by what he calls the flesh or we can walk by the spirit is a choice he places before us. And he says this, so I say, walk by the spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, as I already mentioned, that the Spirit of God, that the Holy Spirit dwells within every believer at the time of salvation. When you made that profession of faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came to dwell within you, and it changed you. It changed you from the inside out. There are times when I have led people to Christ and then had the opportunity to walk with them for a while, and almost every single time, it doesn't take long before they come back to me, and they said, something's different. Other people are noticing there's something different as well. You know, the things I used to do, the way I used to talk, the jokes I laughed at, the things I was interested in, it's just different. And people see this practical transformation that happens within them. But we all still know, even if you understand what I just mentioned there about that transformation that happens when the Spirit comes to dwell, when we give our lives to Christ, as we know from our own experiences, there's still a battle that goes on. There's still a fleshly battle that wants our attention. In 1 Peter 2.11, we read it this way. It says, sinful desires wage war for your souls. You see, there's this battle to keep or to reclaim what we've handed over to the Spirit. There's an enemy who doesn't take that sitting down. He doesn't just give up because we swore allegiance to Christ. He tries to battle and reclaim back territory. And when we accept Christ and claim that territory, we then need to defend it. You know what I'm talking about if if you have ongoing battles with those sinful desires and appetites, which to some degree, we all understand. Some of us are having more victory than others. But we all understand that, that, that battle that doesn't go on. If we trust that Jesus Christ has already won the war, There's a a difference between wars and battles. Battles are momentary skirmishes. And we may lose some battles. But the overall war has already been won by Jesus Christ. The end has already been determined. But these sinful desires are fairly easy to identify. In fact, Paul actually helps us out by providing a list of these actions that are associated with the flesh. And the list he gives us in verses 19 through 20 through 21, he says that the acts of the flesh are obvious. Things like sexual immorality and impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Big list. He says, then I warn you as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now it should be noted that, that these are areas of specific concern that the church in Galatia was wrestling with. And, and Paul was challenging them on these specific things because he was aware of these challenges that existed within that particular church. And if they are, these are still relevant for t- us today to be aware of because if they are wrong then, they're still wrong now. We also need to note that this is not by any means a complete list of things. There's others that could be added to this. And we even see that in Scripture. For example, we see similar lists in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, in Ephesians 5, even Revelation 22, we see these other lists of things that we need to be cautious with. But 
But this is by far the most extensive list that we see in Scripture. And he states his concern. His concern in this is the church's eternal destiny. As he says, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now we need to be careful with this verse and understand what he's saying here and what he's not saying. What he's not saying is that if you get angry with somebody because their shopping cart rolled into your car, that you're done for eternity. <laughs> what he's not saying is if you get jealous at your neighbor's riding lawnmower or their brand new snowblower, that you lose your salvation. He's not saying in the same vein that if you go out and make a poor decision and have one glass of wine too many, that, that your name is written out of the book of life. He's not talking about this idea of it's a one-and-done type of punishment. Because if that's the case, there is absolutely no hope for any of us. Because like I said, we will lose some battles. We want to fight every battle, but we will lose some battles. What Paul is saying here then is this. Notice the key phrase in this passage where he says, those who live like this. And what does he mean by that? Well, he's referring to those who regular, habitual lifestyles reflect these types of sinful acts. See, the issue is not necessarily the individual infraction. The issue has to do with allegiance. Who have you sworn allegiance to? Are you still walking and having sworn allegiance to the way of the flesh? Or have you sworn allegiance to Christ, and even though you may stumble, you may trip, you need to pick yourself up occasionally, your allegiance is still steadfast, and your heart, in all sincerity, wants to serve and do better and grow and seek forgiveness. Where is our allegiance is, is essentially the question. What will we surrender control? What will we allow to influence our lives? Flesh or spirit? Now, I could share with you a number of stories where this has played itself out in people's lives. But I don't think there's any more powerful story than, well, Paul himself, actually, who, who shares personally about what this looked like in his own life. And I think that's probably why he was so adamant about these issues, because he knew firsthand the tension and the struggle we're talking about and the need to assure where our alliances lie. And he knew what it felt like to fail. He knew what it felt like to struggle. And we read about that in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 24, where he honestly shares his frustration, and he shares his discouragement with these struggles. You can read through that full passage at home later, Romans 7, 14 through 24. But specifically in verse 19 through 20, he says this. He says, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, spirit, flesh, this I keep on doing, the evil I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. Now, in this verse, he's not trying to escape responsibility for his actions. Paul's not saying, it wasn't me, the devil made me do it. That's not what he's saying here. No, what he's saying is he's declaring that great control that sin can have on a Christian's life if they will let it, if they allow those sucker shoots to go unchecked if they allow them to go on and to continue to grow strong and to bear fruit. And if we were to keep reading into Romans chapter 8, which is something you could continue to do at home as well, you'll see that while he's frustrated in his failings, he knows the war is won. He knows there is ultimate victory found in Christ alone. He knows that he has willingly and joyfully submitted his life to the transforming power of Jesus Christ. 
He knows that in his inner being, he delights in the Lord. He knows that is his true identity. He knows that is where his allegiance lies, is with Christ. And so he does not allow these incidental moments when he stumbles to defeat him. And he summarizes this in Romans 8, chapter chapter 8, verse 6, where he summarizes beautifully both the problem and the solution to this conflict. Where he says, the mind controlled by the flesh is death. But the problem, in the, but, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. So if the spirit has control of our lives, and if our inner beings delight in God's spirit, then even when we stumble, even when we fall, there is freedom and there is grace. Now this is not a license to sin. By no means is this to be taken as a license to sin. That would be walking according to the flesh, if that's how we viewed it. And it's also not a flippant kind of love-me-or-leave-me attitude. Because that would be devoid of transformation. And that ongoing sanctification. And it's also not an opportunity to beat ourselves up. We don't want to beat ourselves up because that would be denying the power and the victory of Jesus Christ. And so on this Thanksgiving Day, when we are surrounded by so much material and relational things that we can be thankful. Let's not also forget to be abundantly thankful for that victory. For that victory that is ours in Jesus Christ. Because this attitude of thankfulness that we focus upon today, this attitude of thankfulness goes hand in hand with the fruit of the Spirit. Which is what Paul talks to us about next as this passage continues. You see, if we will fight the good fight, if we will allow the Spirit to have control, if we will continue with our allegiance upon him, good fruit will be known in our lives. And this is what he says about it. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. It's it's gentleness and self-control. Against these types of things, there is no law against these things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, those, those who have sworn allegiance to Christ Jesus, have been crucified, they've crucified that sinful nature and its passions and its desires. And because they've crucified that, they walk by the Spirit. They keep in step with the Spirit. And when we do that, we do not need to become conceited, provoking each other, or envying each other. Now, if this, if this sermon was focused upon the individual fruits, we would we'd unpack those one by one. But, but today... I think we do something a little bit different where we would talk instead about the nature of fruit. And how can we realize fruit in our lives? Quite often we talk about and define the individual fruit of the Spirit. But then we're kind of left with the question of, well, okay, well, I know what they are, but how do I experience them? How can I identify them? And so I'd rather start there today, talking about how we can experience and identify these in our lives. Now, first of all, we've got to point something important out here. There's a distinction between acts and fruit. Remember, there's acts of the flesh, and there's fruit of the spirit. There's a distinction between those two words, between acts and fruit. Acts, the way it's used for Paul and his audience, carries a negative connotation. And it's negative because it's focusing upon us. It's focused upon our power. It's focused upon this idea that while the enemy can tempt us, ultimately we are the ones who choose to act upon that. Fruit is very different, though. Fruit emerges from divine enablement. Fruit is produced in us and through us. 
where it's not really about us. It's about the Spirit in us. It's about His power, not ours. We can prevent it, though. We can choose to live according to Acts and prevent that Spirit from happening. But it is not of our will and of our muster and energy, as we talked about the last two weeks, to produce fruit. That is a divine enablement that happens. Now, for many, this concept of the fruit of the Spirit is, is a discouraging one because you're not sure if you're seeing any fruit in your life. And you might be wondering, well, what kind of fruit tree am I? Or, or how much shoot, fruit should I really be producing if I'm, if I'm faithfully aligned and sworn allegiance to Christ? Well, in the few minutes that I have left, I'd like to talk to you about that, about how to identify and how to nurture that fruitful life that we can all have. What would it look like to grow golden delicious apples instead of crab apples in our lives. And so first of all, we need to understand this. That growth is often slow and steady. And it can often be hard to measure at times. And here's what I mean by this. For all the parents here, who you think about your kids, you can't really see them grow, Right? You can't just look at them every morning and think that they've grown. However, if you were to line them up against the door frame and put little pencil marks, over a few weeks, over a few months, you would start to see the line go up and up and up. You see over time that there's evidence of that growth. Or if a relative came to town this weekend for Thanksgiving who hadn't seen them for a few months, what, what's, what's, what's Auntie going to say? Oh, look how big you are. <laughs> they've seen them grow up, Right? Well, spiritual growth can be similar. It can be hard to measure at times because we're with ourselves every day. And, and we're not sure, you know, how it should look like, what it should feel like, until we encounter what we would refer to as a testing event. Now, a testing event, I would define as something in your life that you can use to contrast the past experience. For example, are you becoming more loving? Are you becoming more joyful? Do you have more peace? Sitting right where you are right now, you may not know. You may be unsure because you're not sure how to measure what does it mean to be more loving. But next time a situation comes up in your life that historically has made you anxious, that has previously made you angry or stressed out or caused you to lose sleep, you can look back to a year ago and you can say, you know what, I, I would have been restless all night. Or I would have been on the edge or I would have been overly emotional last time that came up. But, but today... You know, I'm feeling a little more peace in my heart. Today I'm feeling like I have a greater sense of faith and trust in the Lord. You see, so it's through these events that we can start to measure and examine the growth of these fruits within our lives. Because the Spirit is working to develop this within us, and we may only be able to identify them and measure them during these testing events. Now the second thing is this, is that the fruit being caused by the Spirit to work within us is seeking to shape us into the image of Christ. Now, there are multiple things in our lives that we can do that can help us to grow and develop on our own efforts. If you want to grow, you know, bigger biceps, guys, you can go to the gym and you can do, you know, barbell curls. Or if you're a pastor, you can do the, the preacher curls, right? Up there. And if you do that a couple times a week for a month, your bicep is going to grow. If you want to learn how to drive, you can go get a book, you can study, you can take the written test, you can go practice driving, you can take the road test, you'll, you'll get a license, and you can become a better driver. You know, there, there are many aspects of life where this is how it works. Where you just, if you work harder, if you invest more energy, you will improve. 
But the fruit of the Spirit doesn't work that way. Because remember what I said previously, it's not about our ability to muster up more strength. There is no book that will make you love people like Christ apart from the Spirit. There is no course you can take on peace or patience that will lead to true interchange apart from the Spirit. Because only the Spirit can soften a heart. Only the Spirit can help us to grow in these areas. The acts of the fruit, or the acts of the flesh, are from us. The fruit of the Spirit is from Him. But we're not passive. Now some might take that and say, well, we can just passively sit back, and as long as we do nothing wrong, it'll grow. It's not quite the case, because we can't be passive in this either, because there's a third point here. You see, the third point is that we have a responsibility to take to create conditions in our lives for the spiritual fruit to grow. It's like tending a garden. We can create healthy conditions that nurture growth in our gardens. Now, we can see some of these steps in the final three verses of this passage, actually. The first one we see in verse 24 when, when Paul says, those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. See, one active thing that we need to be doing is it's vitally important that we cut off those sucker shoots. It's vitally important that we watch the behaviors and the actions that reflect the old way of living. That we not continue in that path. We have to regularly say no to the acts of the flesh and yes to the power of God's spirit within us. Then the second verse, in verse 25 here, he says, Since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. So once we have cut off those sucker shoots and are trying to say yes to the power of God's spirit, we then need to keep in step with the spirit. And the only way, only way we can keep in step with the spirit is if we keep our eyes fixed upon him in the sense of asking, what is he doing in the world around me? What is he trying to teach me through the events and the situations I find myself in? Now next week I'll talk more about this when we talk about the Holy Spirit specifically and how he is here to offer us counsel and correction and even conviction as we seek to follow and stay in step with him. But today I want to quickly summarize four ways that I've been taught and that I've experienced in my own life how we can keep in step with the Spirit. Number one is through circumstances. Is looking at the circumstances in our lives. How has God been leading you and how has he led you in the past? Where has he placed you in the present are some of the questions that we can ask. And here's the power of those. When we talk about what has he done for us in the past and where I find myself in the present, when we look back upon God's faithful provision for us, when we look back and say, you know what, I didn't know if I was going to make it, but God brought me through. We can then stand in our current situations and have confidence in the Spirit. And in the present, you can look around and say, well, what new experiences, what people is God bringing into my life? What situations is he leading me into? And not all of these are comfortable. Sometimes they will be testing events that are quite difficult. But in the midst of that, we can ask ourselves, well, what, what could God possibly be trying to teach me? In this? Maybe this moment that I'm wrestling with is actually ordained by God as a way to soften my heart or cause me to grow. So we can look at our circumstances as one way to try and keep in step with the Spirit. Where is he leading, guiding? Where do I find myself in the midst of this moment? Another area is through other believers. And we can learn from other people's mistakes, but we can also learn from other people's victories in the Spirit. 
Now, God will reveal himself to people in, in unique ways. As unique as each of us is, so too is our story unique of how God reached us and proclaimed his truth to us. But as, as different and unique as each of those stories are, the core principles of his truth are amazingly consistent. And that's one of the reasons I'm such a big fan of, of group-type ministries, of small groups, of being in community accountability groups, of, of getting from, from this fantastic corporate worship setting to a bit more of a home-style group or, or a classroom setting or in a coffee shop. Because when we get a little more intimate, we have a chance to share stories with each other. We have a chance to learn from others and say, well, well this, is, this is how God brought me through. Or this is what I learned through my season of struggle. Or this is how God has blessed me in the past. And as we share these stories with one another, while there will be uniquenesses to the stories, there will be amazingly consistent principles of how God works in, in the lives of others. We can also do this through reading scripture, see how he worked in people's lives in the past and how he can work in our lives in the present. And so we can keep in step with the Spirit by looking at our current circumstances. We can keep in step with the Spirit by looking at other believers, how they have walked and journeyed. In particular, if there are a season of life ahead of us, that can be such a blessing to have a mentor in, in marriage and parenting and finances. If there's somebody who's a season ahead of us who can show us the pitfalls and the strategies that work. A third one is in the scriptures themselves. In the Bible that, that God has given to us. And you're going to probably hear me talk about this on a fairly regular basis because I, <laughs> I will keep telling you the importance of being in the word. And one of, the, one of the key reasons I think it's so important is, is this, one of these metaphors and these analogies I like, I like to use at times. Imagine with me, if you will, that as we keep in step with the Spirit and we need to be in the Word, you can understand that in sense that, well, imagine with me for a second that your mind and your heart is a vacant lot. Now, some of you, that's easier than others. <laughs> so it's a vacant lot, okay? There's nothing there except the Spirit which is like a contractor who's ready to build something on that lot of your mind and of your heart. But he can't really build anything until you place an order and have some raw material driven to the site. And see, that's what being in the Word can be like. When we get into the Word of God, when we, when we memorize and meditate upon Scripture, when we read the Bible, when we do our devotions, it's like putting in an order at Home Depot and having some wood show up on the vacant lot of our hearts and minds and allow the Spirit then to take that and build something out of it. We'll talk a bit more next week about what that looks like and, and how, what that building looks like. You see, the Word of God is that raw material, and the Spirit is the one who builds upon this. And then the fourth one is prayer, where we can come before the Lord and honestly share our thoughts. We can share our feelings. We can share our fears even. And I'm thrilled that this is a church who is seeking to grow in prayer. That's so critical. That's so important to us individually, but also corporately as we go forward in the days ahead. But, but I want you to remember this when you pray. Prayer is not meant to be a monologue. It's meant to be a dialogue. Quite often when we pray, we, we have our pre, kind of, we have our ideas ahead of time of these are the things I'm going to be thankful for, these are the things I'm going to want, and then I've got to move on. But there is great blessing when we just will stop in silence and allow God to speak. Some of the most critical decisions in Nadine and mine's life 
were made when we were framed and chose to be silent and allow the Spirit to speak. Now, how He speaks is unique and different. But when you feel His guidance, when you hear His voice, use it. And it will give you great confidence on what it looks like to keep in step with the Spirit. So there are four things here on how we keep in step with the Spirit. We can do that through looking at our circumstances. We can do it through learning from other believers. We can do it through reading the Word of God and internalizing that so that the Spirit can work with that to, to build and bring back to memory and to challenge and convict us. And we can do it through prayer. As we openly and honestly share with God, but then stop and allow him to work within our hearts. Then there's a third and final step, verse 26, where he says, let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This is a bit of a surprising verse. And it seems strange that as, as we're growing and experiencing the fruit of the Spirit, that he would be concerned about being conceited, about provoking others, that, that, that seems more aligned with acts of the flesh, doesn't it? Those types of things. But here's the challenge. At times, people who start to grow in the Spirit, people who start to see good fruit, people start to feel very confident in their spiritual knowledge and in their spiritual position, can start to lose something. Two things, really. One is humility. And the second one is they can lose their dependence upon the Spirit to continue to guide and to reveal. And what was meant to be a launching pad, these fruits of the Spirit were meant to be a launching pad for loving and serving others, all of a sudden becomes a source of spiritual arrogance and superiority and jealous and piety, which would not be walking according to the Spirit. More accurately, that would be walking out in front of the Spirit and saying, Spirit, you can follow me now. And so we need to be careful of that that we keep in step with the Spirit, not get out in front. Because these behaviors would not be in keeping with walking according to Him, but more walking according to the acts of the flesh. So where does that leave us for today? Where does that leave us as we go forward and take with us into the world whatever next step we may need to continue to grow in this area? That we truly could grow good fruit through the empowerment of the Spirit. Well, number one, you need to know who you are in Christ. Number one, have you accepted on faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? That he was sent to pay the price for your sins so that you may live in a relationship with him eternally? If you have not taken that step of faith, then perhaps it's because you've been trying to gain God's approval through your own works. Or you've been trying to take the lead. Or perhaps you've been on a journey. And you feel this gradual progression towards that, but, but for whatever reason, you have not brought yourself to the moment of accepting God's forgiveness and his love that can set you free. If that's the case, perhaps today is your day. Perhaps today is your day to step over that line and to swear that allegiance to Jesus Christ, to cut off those sucker shoots, to allow that splicing to take place that transforms a life. The Bible tells us in Romans 10 that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and if you'll believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You have the opportunity to make that commitment if you have not done so right here where you are today. Or if you have more questions or would like to 
be led through it a little more, come and see me following the service. I would love to grab some food with you at the potluck and sit and talk more about this. But there are many of us here who have entered into that true relationship. There are many here who have a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the challenge for us is a little bit different. That we who have been transformed by the Spirit of God, we who have sworn allegiance to Him, the challenge for us is different because ours is to surrender daily our lives to Him. And we can't be complacent on this because we are either moving closer in relationship with God or we are drifting away. When it comes to our spiritual growth, there is no neutral. We're either getting closer or we are slipping away. There is no neutral in this matter. Because there are thoughts and forces and there are temptations that are battling for your allegiance. So let us remember that while difficulties will come, while moments will occur when we will stumble, while there are seasons where we may have questions and doubts, your victory in Jesus Christ is already assured. And you can surrender your life to him and trust in him. And to believe in the spirit that's within you will produce good fruit and is sufficient to be your guide. At the start of Galatians chapter 5, he opens the whole passage by saying this, which is a great reminder and a caution for us today. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. It is for freedom you've been set free. And if that is where you find yourself today, he continues and says, then stand firm. Stand firm and do not let yourselves again go back. Do not allow yourselves to go back and again be burdened by that yoke of slavery you have been set free from. That is a daily choice we can make. It's to remember, you have been set free. The war has been won. There is so much to be thankful for. And if that is the true essence of our identity, we are no longer crab apple trees, but we are golden delicious trees. If that is truly who we are, then let us stand firm in that. Bearing good fruit to the glory of God. And turning all thankfulness back to Him. That He made it all powerful. He made it all possible through His power. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank You for the transforming power of the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that, that we, regardless of where we come from, regardless of what we have done or who we are, that your power, that your good news is bigger than our sin. And, Lord, that you come into our lives and you transform. Lord, you come in and you, you help us to change those allegiances. You give us the gift of the Holy Spirit that helps us to grow. God, I pray we will continue every day to grow in trust and faith that we would daily choose to give control over to that spirit that is within us, that we would walk in step with him, that we would seek to know more about you through your word, through your, our encounters with you, for your encounters with other people. And Lord, that we would turn back to you in prayer and honestly and openly share with you what's going on, that you may speak and guide. And through the power of that spirit within us, Lord, may we bear good fruit for the furtherance of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name.